Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's top headlines. Jim Jordan loses the first round vote to become House Speaker. China kicks off its Belt and Road Forum. Biden makes plans to visit Israel. Liberia's presidential election heads to a likely runoff. India declines a petition to legalize same-sex marriage. The Supreme Court allows Biden to continue regulating ghost guns. Trump faces another gag order. The former Bank of China chairman is arrested on bribery charges. Violent crime in the U.S. is found to have decreased to pre-pandemic levels. And the Amazon rainforest water level falls to a 121-year low. In our top story, Jim Jordan loses his first House vote to become Speaker. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, USA Today, Reuters, the Associated Press, CBS, and Newsweek. Republican Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio lost the first round of his attempt to be voted Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, only the second time such a feat has happened in 100 years. Additional rounds of voting are planned. Twenty members of the Republican Party voted against Jordan, who required 217 votes to be elected into the office. Jordan received 200 votes in total. Republicans chose also to vote for former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, seven votes, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Louisiana, six votes, former Representative Lee Zeldin of New York, three votes, as well as Tom Cole, Oklahoma, Tom Emmer, Minnesota, Thomas Massey, Kentucky, and Mike Garcia of California, one vote each. Republicans hold a 221-212 majority in the House. Jordan, who currently sits as the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and a founding member of the House Freedom Caucus, is endorsed by former President Donald Trump. All Democrats voted for House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, who received 212 votes. Speaking to reporters before the vote, Jordan claimed that rounds of voting would continue until we get a speaker. Jeffries accused the Republican Party of miring the Congress in chaos, dysfunction, and extremism. Without a speaker, the House cannot vote on or bring to the floor new legislation. In the meantime, Patrick Henry of North Carolina will continue as speaker pro tempore. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were our facts, and our first spin is the Republican narrative from National Review. So far, more moderate members of the party have continued to hold out against Jordan. If this continues, a Republican to watch as a new potential nominee is House GOP Conference Vice Chairman Mike Johnson. As the party looks to ensure America can pass legislation prioritizing the support of Israel, as well as the long-term future of government funding. The GOP is working to secure the Speaker's gavel. And here's the Democratic narrative from the Daily Beast. The Republican leadership crisis continues, and Jordan remains far away from gaining the necessary votes to become Speaker. While a first-round victory never seemed realistic, the double-digit deficit is a reality check to the far-right Freedom Caucus member. Anger concerning the behavior of House Republicans is building as the party continues to hold American politics hostage. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. 
This time, they say there's a 44% chance that Jim Jordan will be elected Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives following the removal of Kevin McCarthy. I think there's one thing the Republicans can agree on. Go on. They don't agree on anything. The Republican Party's in such a weird place. In a way, they're in a very powerful place. And in a way, they're in a very not powerful place. I mean, you always hear about, you know, the Democrats are able to raise more money. They have, you know, certain cachet with celebrities and, and public figures and things like that. But that being said, they were able to take over basically all the federal courts. They permanently shifted the 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 Supreme Court. Roe v. Wade, like all a lot of the issues that were important to them happened. So it might be that they already won. And then now it's, it. you know, when everyone always says like, this is the most important election of our lifetime, maybe this one isn't. And they already had that one and, it, and they already won it. China hosts Putin as the Belt and Road Forum begins. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Voice of America, CNN, Al Jazeera, and U.S. News and World Report. On Tuesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin arrived in Beijing as China kicked off its two-day Belt and Road Initiative Forum in only his second overseas trip since an arrest warrant was issued against him by the International Criminal Court in March. His trip to China, which is not part of the ICC, will see the Russian leader attend the forum, give a speech, and meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Xi has reportedly set clear goals for the forum, which includes representatives from over 140 countries including publicizing China's backing of economic development and projecting the country as an alternative global leader to the U.S. The forum is also intended to allow Beijing to showcase Xi's significant initiatives, including the $10 billion Global Development Initiative the Chinese president launched in 2021 to promote social and economic development. The forum, expected to boost the PRC's standing as a leading global power, comes amid the ongoing Israel-Gaza war. According to the Afghan embassy, the Taliban's acting commerce minister, Haji Naruddin Azizi, is also attending the forum to reportedly attract investors to Afghanistan and discuss a potential project to construct a road through the country's northern Wakhan corridor. All right. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. And we'll start this round of narratives with a pro-China spin from the Global Times. As turbulence plagues the Middle East and Europe, China's diplomatic and investment efforts are bringing together leaders from across the globe to promote international cooperation, peace, and stability. The Belt and Road Forum exemplifies China's continuing influence on the world stage. And the anti-China narrative comes from the Telegraph. While the Western world imposes sanctions on Russia over the invasion of Ukraine and works toward brokering peace and ensuring security in the Middle East, China isn't giving a platform to Putin and members of Afghanistan's Taliban government. Beijing isn't interested in global peace, but in strengthening engagement with oppressive administrations. And there's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's an 18% chance that China's GDP will overtake the U.S. before 2030. Biden will visit Israel at this critical moment. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The New York Times, and The Associated Press. President Joe Biden will on Wednesday travel to Tel Aviv at a critical moment for Israel, for the region, and for the world, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said from the Israeli capital on Tuesday. Blinken was back in Israel for the second time in five days. 
After first arriving last week, he traveled to Jordan, Qatar, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia, as well as Egypt and the United Arab Emirates. In Jordan, alongside King Abdullah II, Blinken met with the head of Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas. Blinken announced that after Israel, Biden will also visit the Jordanian capital of Amman, where he is also set to meet with Abbas and Abdullah, as well as Egyptian leader Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. They have lobbied Blinken and the U.S. to allow humanitarian aid to enter Gaza, which is facing a humanitarian disaster, including a lack of clean drinking water and overflowing hospitals running out of electricity. Since Hamas' attack on Israel, killing 1,400 Israelis, most of those civilians, Israel has carried out a campaign of constant airstrikes on the Gaza Strip. On Monday, health authorities there said that at least 2,700 were killed and more than 9,700 others were wounded. In addition to the dead, some 1,200 people across Gaza are believed buried under the rubble with their condition unknown, health officials said. According to reports in Haaretz and the Washington Post, the announcement of Biden's visit was delayed until Israeli leadership agreed on corridors for humanitarian aid to enter Gaza, as well as the creation of safe areas for civilians that would not be bombed. Biden and Blinken will also have to wade through avoiding a wider war with Iran, which has increasingly traded charged remarks with Israel, as well as a hostage crisis. On Monday, after the hostage number increased from 126 to 155 a day earlier, the Israel Defense Forces said that it knew of 199 Israeli hostages in Gaza. Hamas later claimed that it had roughly 250 people held as hostages, further claiming that 22 were killed in Israeli airstrikes. Later on Monday, a Hamas official demanded that 6,000 Palestinian prisoners be released in exchange for the hostages held in Israel. Thanks, Melissa, for that grim update. We have a pro-establishment narrative on this story from The Guardian. Biden is making this historic wartime visit to Israel at a time when there is a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Threats of a wider war with Iran and a tense hostage negotiation between Hamas and Israel. This is a pivotal moment for Biden and his administration as he navigates extraordinarily complex waters. Here's the pro-Israel narrative from the Times of Israel. Biden's wartime visit to Israel is a demonstration of a key ally coming to stand in solidarity with the country following Hamas's brutal assault on October 7th. Biden will reaffirm Washington's commitment to the security of the Jewish state and is expected to declare that Israel has an obligation to defend itself and act to prevent future attacks, meaning Israel will have a relatively free hand as far as the U.S. is concerned. And Middle East Eye brings us the pro-Palestine narrative. What Israel has done to the Palestinian people in Gaza is nothing short of collective punishment that violates international law. Thousands of civilians have been killed, and who knows how many more are filling the halls of already undersupplied hospitals. Western countries need to immediately facilitate the lifting of the blockade. Biden and Blinken are clearly concerned and aware of the scale of the humanitarian catastrophe. Here's another nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's an 88% chance that there will be an Israel-Hezbollah war by 2030. Scott, this has just got to stop. It's just disgusting. I mean... It's just the only people who ever suffer are kids 
and the civilians, right? I mean, we're seeing in these numbers, there's so many innocent civilians being killed on both sides. Stop this nonsense. Just stop it. In Gaza, the hospitals are a desperate in desperate situations, right? But also, you're also constantly hearing the screams of people because there's no pain medication coming in. So people with these third degree burns and loss of limbs have no, no pain medication. So I cannot imagine being one of the doctors in there and just hearing that. Like, you got to go into that mode of I'm here to fix Also, things. as a doctor, you don't have an option to just give up. So you still have to keep making do with whatever it is that you have available. And it just keeps getting worse and worse as you don't have the right equipment and it just goes down and down and down and more and more people come in. So as a doctor, you can't just say, forget it. That's not an option. So it must be just nightmarish. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Liberia's presidential election is likely headed to a runoff. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by Voice of America, Front Page Africa, Africa News, The Liberian Observer, Al Jazeera, and BBC News. Following data released by Liberia's National Elections Commission, the West African nation is set to enter a presidential runoff between President George Way and former Vice President Joseph Bukai. As of October 16th, Bukai sat ahead of Way in the polls by 0.05% leading with 43.7%, that's 748,463 votes, to 43.65%, 747,578 votes, with 92.82% of votes having been counted, after Liberians went to the polls on October 10th. This comes after Bokai had trailed way for the past three days, down nearly 14,000 votes on October 14th. The latest results announced by Davidetta Brown-Lanzana, chairperson for the commission, were taken from 5,467 of the 5,890 total polling stations. The required runoff election will take place in November. In a statement made on Sunday, the Economic Community of West African States called for the continuation of a peaceful and credible electoral process. This came after it had been informed that certain actors are attempting to declare themselves victorious prematurely or to exert undue pressure on the commission. The election, which is the first to be held without a U.N. peacekeeping presence following its withdrawal in 2018, is for a six-year presidential term. Peacekeepers were deployed after approximately 250,000 individuals died throughout two civil wars between 1989 and 2003. This follows Wei's victory over Bokai by a margin of 61.5 to 38.5 in a runoff during the country's 2017 elections, having initially amassed 38.4% and 28.8% of the votes, respectively. Wei has rejected Bokai's claims that his first term has gone downhill, citing accomplishments such as introducing free university tuition. Thank you, Scott. Here is Narrative A from African Arguments. Following empty promises and an unsuccessful first term as president, it's time for Wei to go. Poor economy and unchecked corruption remain Liberia's primary concern six years later, and Wei has only shown that he's not adept at finding solutions to these problems. As the threat of military coups continues to loom over many African states, Liberia must use its democratic autonomy to vote for positive change instead of the status quo. 
and Narrative B comes from the Liberia News Agency. With a peaceful election process following a successful campaign, Wei has reaffirmed his continued commitment to driving Liberia forward. Meanwhile, Bokai's public displays hint at a candidate not ready to take the reins of governance yet. Wei continues to be backed by first-time voters and the youth, which may prove pivotal for the incumbent president. In our next story, India declines an appeal to legalize same-sex marriage. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, The New York Times, The Guardian, and The Hindu. India's five-judge Supreme Court on Tuesday unanimously rejected a petition to legalize same-sex marriage, ruling that the decision is beyond the court's purview. However, the ruling did include allowing transgender people to marry each other, so long as one member of the couple identifies as a man and the other as a woman, and expanded the definition of discrimination, including equal access to goods and services. In its ruling, the court, led by Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachud, wrote that the issue should go to Parliament. Chandrachud added that gay couples should still be free to choose their life partner as well as with whom they cohabit. The Chief Justice further stated that LGBTQ plus persons have an equal right to enter into a union. Justice Sanjay Kishan Cole concurred, writing that the legal recognition of such unions was a step forward towards marriage equality. However, Justices S.R. Bhatt, Hima Kohli, and P.S. Narashima disagreed on whether the court could recognize civil unions, with Justice Bhatt writing that there was no fundamental right to marry and that unions, too, must be left up to the legislature. The ruling, which follows the end of a colonial-era ban on gay sex in 2018, ensures that gay couples cannot be punished legally for engaging in their relationships. However, without marriage, they have no legal status in family matters, including succession and inheritance. Thanks, Melissa. The left narrative spin comes from the Times of India. The court should be applauded for its affirmations of LGBTQ plus rights and suggesting that the law should be changed, but unfortunately it didn't take the final step of enshrining it into law. India's LGBTQ plus community has been placed in the shadows of society for a very long time, and this only prolongs the fight to obtain justice for all Indians. Hopefully the legislature will follow the suggestion of the court and codify equal marriage rights into law. Here's the right narrative from Op India. While everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, should undoubtedly be protected from discrimination, legalizing same-sex marriage would directly contradict India's long-established stance on family and marriage, leading to a growing culture of children not learning the long-held religious and cultural traditions of India. The Supreme Court will allow the enforcement of ghost gun regulation. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the SCOTUS blog, The Hill, Reuters, NPR Online News, the Associated Press, and CNN. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday vacated a lower court ruling against a Biden administration regulation regarding so-called ghost guns, allowing the administration to enforce a rule that requires firearms and unfinished parts to be licensed and serialized. Ghost guns are kits people can buy online to build a fully functional firearm. They lack serial numbers and transfer records and don't require background checks. The decision ended an injunction placed by Judge Reed O'Connor on September 14th, exempting two manufacturers, Blackhawk Manufacturing and Defense Distributed, from the Biden administration's 2022 regulation aimed at curtailing privately made firearms. 
The regulation in question was issued by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and required any disassembled gun parts to carry serial numbers. It also required purchasers to pass a background check. O'Connor on June 30th issued a nationwide ban on the ATF's enforcement of the regulation, which the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals narrowed but largely upheld. The Supreme Court on August 8th granted the government's request to enforce the rule while litigation continued. The appeal is still moving ahead in the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Those were the facts, and the Democratic narrative comes from Vox. The Supreme Court made the common-sense decision allowing the administration to regulate ghost guns and reject Judge O'Connor's attempt to circumvent the law. Whether you're buying a gun or you're buying parts to assemble a gun, you should face the same regulations in your jurisdiction. Even the conservative-leaning Supreme Court understands this. And the Republican narrative comes from Zero Hedge. SCOTUS has once again incorrectly ruled in favor of the administration's ghost gun regulation. This rule proves the government doesn't understand what gun kits are and how they are bought and sold. Unfortunately, Biden will be able to continue his assault on gun owners' rights, but eventually, SCOTUS will have to rule on the legality of ghost guns rather than just the technicalities of this case. Here's a nerd narrative. This one says there's a 0.2% chance that the Second Amendment will be successfully amended or repealed before January 1st, 2025. Yeah, the ghost gun thing is kind of... a. Uh... Frightening. I, I, it's yeah. as technology improves. I mean, you can 3D print a gun now if you yeah. want to. That is scary. Um, now, you can also file the serial number off your gun. There's no way we can stop people from filing off serial numbers. And there's no way we can stop people from 3D printing their own guns. Yeah. But it's a, just a matter of, I guess, punishment being extra harsh, right? On these, on these issues. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. If you really. You're going to do a thing that we can't enforce, then if you get caught, that you, the punishment will be harsher. Yeah, that makes sense. The judge issues a gag order on Trump in the federal election case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, Forbes, and The Guardian. U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin on Monday imposed a limited gag order on former President Donald Trump in the federal case that accuses him of conspiring to overturn his 2020 presidential election loss to Democrat Joe Biden. Trump has been barred from criticizing prosecutors, including special counsel Jack Smith, court staff, and potential witnesses involved in the case. Shetkin referred to recent social media posts, such as one referring to Smith as a thug, as her reason for issuing the order. However, Chutkin's order still allows Trump to criticize the U.S. Justice Department, residents of Washington, D.C., and former VP Mike Pence, despite prosecutors seeking restrictions regarding them as well. During the two-hour hearing, Trump's lawyers tried to make the case that his prior statements weren't intimidating or chilling for witnesses, and the prosecutors had no proof that the subjects of these statements felt threatened. This comes as a limited gag order was also issued on Trump last month from the judge overseeing his civil fraud trial in New York. In that case, Trump is forbidden from personal attacks against court staff. American Spectator brings us the pro-Trump narrative. A judge issuing a gag order to limit the free speech rights of a presidential candidate and former president is another step on the way toward the U.S. turning into a banana republic. But on the bright side, Trump will be able to use this to make his case to voters 
that he needs to be reelected in order to end the country's dissent. Here's an anti-Trump narrative from MSNBC. It doesn't take a constitutional scholar to know that the First Amendment takes a back seat to the application of justice and protection of witnesses. Plus, this gag order is so narrow that it hardly limits Trump from continuing to lash out and play the victim card to rile up his supporters. Shutkin has done the right thing, and Trump must abide by her decision. And Metaculus brings us another nerd narrative prediction. This time they say there's a 50% chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. Do you think Trump will be a total pimp in jail? I think that um, he would... Uh, or is this going to be total I mean, the white gold, collar the, jail? The gold standard for jail is, you know, Goodfellas, like slicing the, the garlic really thin and getting all the deliveries and just having your own private room and cooking and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's the gold standard. I don't know if Trump can cook. Uh, that That's a big problem. I think he could probably um, make mac and cheese, you know? Yeah, Some but that's spaghetti. not going to liquefy. That's not, that's not the garlic that's going to liquefy when it hits the oil. That's not the same thing. <sighs> no, I think that's probably his his ability. Like that's the top of his ability, right? Mac and cheese. Mac I bet you. Cheese. I bet you, Trump can get down on some easy Mac. I mean, say what you will about Trump, but his everyman cravings for like fast food and whatever weird, crummy processed comfort food that's not a negative in my book. That well, that you know, if you're going to score some points with me that way, <laughs> um, maybe you know, when everyone got orange. all over him about like the. Uh, you know, the, the White House dining staff is on strike, but the college football team is coming to celebrate their championship and they just got a bunch of fast food. Like, that's cool. I, th- I think they really did enjoy that. That, that was like a cool thing. Um, yeah, that actually is a good idea. Yeah, they should probably do that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's what you're these kids don't want lobster thermidor. They want, you know, and also mm-hmm. I like how he got from a. If not in real, in the real world, in the world of fast food, he brought everyone together. He got like Burger King, Wendy's, Domino's, Pizza Hut, (laughs) KFC. He got like all the fast foods, which is like he brought everyone together. Um, I feel like if he took his his zeal for fast food and brought it to the international diplomacy arena, he could make something happen. Now you're talking. If you can bring Burger King and McDonald's together, then you can bring, you know, Palestine and Israel. Right. And that's the same thing. Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, maybe more like Coke and Pepsi. But mm, ooh, yeah, yeah, that would be tough. I, I, I you, do you remember the Pepsi challenge? How you they would like have tables set up places, and they would give you, and you would decide oh, which one you like better. See. Yeah, yeah. I do um, that, that this was like a big like late '80s, early '90s thing. The Pepsi challenge. Yeah, I took the Pepsi challenge oh. at uh, Waz's supermarket in Terryville, Connecticut, <laughs> and it was you know, and you're supposed to pick Pepsi. Obviously, it's the Pepsi challenge. Were you on TV? No, they no, I was not. But they had the Pepsi challenge set up, and I and I and I tried both, and I chose Coke. And you know, you supposedly they Pepsi have it guy? rigged. I I mean, I just I, I don't know, but like you're taking the Pepsi challenge. Supposedly it's rigged because they want you to choose Pepsi. Yeah. Like the according to what they say, like the Pepsi is chilled or the Coke is flat or all these, you know, like they say that. Cause it's not an unbiased right. thing. It's the Pepsi challenge. You know, right. it's not, uh, and, and I tried them both and I, and I picked the Coke and I remember the guy was like, are you sure? And I'm like, let me, tr- yeah, I'll take that one. Then yeah, they were pretty upset. Better. 
they still gave me the keychain, but that was that was it. Yeah, they, they so kind of I, rolled their eyes at you, though. They're like, I guess I, I I failed the Pepsi challenge. That's you failed the Pepsi challenge. I can't even, I can't do anything right. The only thing Pepsi gets right is Dr Pepper. That's uh, Dr Pepper's not a Pepsi product. Oh, I'll have you know, Dr Pepper is bottled by different is an ind- is is owned by what like Schweppes Snapple or whatever. Oh, it's their and own thing. It, and it um is bottled by different bottling places in different areas of the country. So in okay. some areas, Dr Pepper will be like at McDonald's like cuz it'll be a Coke product. Yeah. And in some areas of the country, McDonald's will have Mr. Pibb because um Dr Pepper is a Pepsi product or it's independently bottled. So uh-huh. I spend a lot of time thinking about this, but uh, <laughs> the former Bank of China chairman is arrested. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Net, China Daily, The Guardian, BBC News, Al Jazeera, and the South China Morning Post. Uh-huh. On Monday, China's Supreme People's Procuratorate announced the arrest of the former Bank of China chairman, Liu Liang, over suspicions of accepting bribes and giving illegal loans. This comes a little over a week after Liu was expelled from the ruling Communist Party of China and had his qualification as a delegate to the 20th CPC National Congress terminated over alleged violations of regulations, reportedly including abuse of power. China's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, or CCDI, further claimed that he brought banned publications into the country, accepted entertainment at private clubs and ski resorts, and refused to implement CPC decisions. The 62-year-old, who had been a prominent figure in China's banking and financial sector, led the state-owned bank from 2019 to mid-March this year, resigning from his position weeks before Chinese authorities announced that he was facing corruption charges. Liu is the latest high-profile financial executive at state-owned banks to face allegations of corruption. Last month, the former China Life Insurance Chairman Wang Bin was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole for accepting some $44 million in bribes. A new leadership team was appointed to the CCDI earlier this year, which saw investigations opened into leading Chinese lenders, as well as into 30 state-owned industrial giants in a bid to defuse risks and prevent financial contagion. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, starting with an anti-China narrative from the New York Times. Whether allegations against Liu are genuine or fabricated, what's evident is that he's just another prominent figure whom the Chinese regime has made an example of to force loyalty on and consolidate control over the financial system. In addition to this witch hunt against finance executives, Beijing has also reformed its financial regulatory system to give more power to party officials. And the pro-China narrative comes from the Global Times. Corrupted financial executives at state-owned banks harm the public interest and and aggravate financial risks to seek private gains. So it's vital to the stability of the Chinese financial system that authorities resolutely take steps to fight corruption and get rid of rotten apples like Liu Liang once and for all. And there's a nerd narrative from the Metaculous community. This one says there's a 50% chance that China's corruption perception index level will be at least 44 in 2023. The FBI says U.S. violent crime has dropped to pre-pandemic levels. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, The Washington Post, The Crime Report, and The Guardian. 
According to the FBI's annual crime report released Monday, violent crime last year dropped 1.6 percent to levels not seen since before the COVID pandemic. This included a 6.1 percent drop in murder and non-negligent manslaughter, a 5.4 percent decrease in rape, and a 1.1 percent drop in aggravated assault. However, robbery increased by 1.3 percent. Murder in big cities has declined even further so far this year, with homicides in Philadelphia dropping from 430 to 344, falling from 538 to 480 in Chicago, and declining from 346 to 311 in New York City. However, murders in Washington, D.C. reached 200 before October this year for the first time since the 1990s. The increase in property theft includes larceny and motor vehicle theft jumping by 7.8% and 10.9% respectively, with trade groups saying that organized retail crime has worsened exponentially since before the pandemic, encouraging businesses to implement new security procedures. Regarding fatal gun violence, the number of adult victims fell by 6.6%, while the number of juvenile victims jumped by 11.8%. The report also found that assaults on police officers rose by 1.8 percent compared to 2021, with 31,400 of the 102,100 assaults resulting in injuries, up 1.7 percent year over year. Hate crimes also increased, with with 11,634 hate crime incidents reported in 2022, compared with 10,840 the previous year. The number of LGBTQ victims jumped from 1,711 to 1,947, while blacks made up almost 52%, with Hispanic and Jewish people also seeing an increase in crimes targeted against them. The report consists of data reported by 83.3% of all law enforcement agencies, covering 93.5% of the population from 62.7% of agencies representing 64.8% of Americans last year. Human Rights Campaign brings us the left narrative spin. With the number of anti-equality laws being passed exponentially rising, it's sadly no surprise that a record of almost 2,000 hate crimes were committed against LGBTQ people, particularly targeting black transgender Americans. Violent crime may be dropping for some, but sexual, racial and religious minorities still face an uphill battle with respect to both legal and physical equality. This is directly related to legislation passed by extremist Republicans, which is why our most vulnerable won't be safe until we fix society at a policy and systemic level. And the right narrative is provided by Town Hall. Urban crime was caused by and worsened due to liberal policies like cashless bail, So whether things have changed on a national level or not, it remains a problem in the cities that haven't reversed course. Chicago, for example, has continued to release violent criminals onto the streets and now faces record amounts of crime. Liberal criminal justice policies don't work because wherever they're still implemented, rates of muggings and violence against police officers continue to rise. I went to the Little Caesars on International Boulevard in... uh in Oakland and you know they have the 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 hot and ready pizzas you know you go in there and it's 5 bucks you just get oh, yeah. a pizza it's all $5. ready $5 you know 
the neighborhood is not great when they have a slot that's exactly big enough. It's just bulletproof glass, top floor to ceiling, and they just slide your $5 pizza out a slot that's only as big as the pizza box. Yeah. And it's like, oh boy, this is, and I didn't see anything happening, but I can tell you some weird stuff has been happening is if, if some, what is someone robbing the pizzas? There. Yeah. Like, like there's someone stealing all the $5 pizzas or what, what's going on? Like, uh, you know, so it was, be- something is not good. You know, that, that's, that's how you can tell if the, if the little Caesars is, has the pizzas under lock and key, then that's, yeah, that's, that's a then problem. It's, it's bad. What yeah. does this country come to? We yeah. can't be can safe just, at our little Caesars. Can I just get a, the worst pizza for the cheapest amount of money without being shot, please? It really, you, the answer should be yes. I would hope so, right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hurting myself by eating this pizza already. Like, right. I, I don't need anyone else to do anything to me. Yeah. Yeah. Leave the poor pizza eating people I'm at rock bottom if I'm eating a $5 pizza. I don't mind Little Caesars, actually, but I don't think it's good. I just don't mind it. We used to love it when we were kids. You're like, it's square. That's amazing. Well, well, now we're talking about the Bigfoot pizza again. Don't get me started on that. Oh, man. Okay. No, we got to move on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We got to wrap this show up pretty soon. All right. People don't have all day. Thank you. And our final story, the water level in the Amazon rainforest falls to a 121-year low. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Telesur, Forbes, Financial Times, The Messenger, Grist, and NBC News. On Monday, the river port in Manaus, a city in Brazil's Amazon rainforest where the Negru River meets the Amazon River, recorded a water level of 13.59 meters, its lowest observed since 1902. In July this year, the Negru River, also known as the Black River, was flowing at 28 meters. The Amazon rainforest is facing a severe drought amid the lowest levels of recorded rainfall since 1980, which have cut off food, medicine, and water supplies to villages in the Amazon basin. The unprecedented drought, which has affected over 500,000 inhabitants as well as the region's native wildlife, has prompted Brazil's Northwestern Amazonas to declare an environmental emergency. This recent drought, along with the wider effects of climate change, has also made the region more fire-prone. This month, the rainforest has already registered over 2,700 wildfires, the highest number recorded in October since 1998. Last week, uncontrolled wildfires forced state authorities to postpone the city's annual marathon while classes were canceled at some major universities. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on our final story. We'll begin the round of spins with a narrative A from Science News Explorers. Human activities and climate change have intensified Amazon's dry season, which has been observed to be around one month longer than in previous decades. The ecological jewel that mixes several ecosystems and accounts for more than half of tropical forests in the world is in big trouble. Time is running out to save the Amazon from turning into a savanna. And Narrative B comes from the Financial Times. It's easy to dismiss any extreme weather event as a consequence of climate change, but in reality, they're usually influenced by a myriad of factors that have nothing to do with global warming. More research is needed before establishing any direct causal link between the two. And the nerds have the final word from the Metaculous community. 
saying there's a 26% chance that Brazil will reach net zero deforestation before 2031. So do you have interest in visiting the Amazon rainforest? I think you've talked about this before. It's on my list. I mean, it just seems like, is it one of the seven natural wonders of the world? The I don't know. I feel like we've watered down the wonders thing. Now there's all these different wonders. I feel like we've kind of like with boxing heavyweight titles, there's too many of them now. I too can't many track. wonders. I need seven wonders. Let's decide on them. And then I'll celebrate that list of seven. That's it. Because I don't, I honestly couldn't tell you what the seven wonders of the world are right now. And that is probably not a good thing. The pyramids. Should be. So yeah, there, there's one. I feel like the Great Wall of China. Um, but then there's the natural world. Like, what are we talking about here? So yeah. I just need seven wonders of the world and that's it. And that would really help me out. Too. Yeah, let's simplify I Tyson. I need Tyson Fury and the Grand Canyon and we're done. Thank you for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. To find out more about Verity, visit our website, verity.news. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity. Verity.